0: Discourse episode 5. I'm joined as always by my co-host Jabari Davis. You can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else where you get your podcasts. Tonight we are going to talk the majority of the time about The Last Dance uh, 10-part documentary airing on ESPN. Uh, It just concluded about 15
1: minutes ago and we're going to get right to it. So Jabari, how are you doing tonight my friend? I'm doing great. I mean, you know, I've been chomping at the bit. I've been excited about this documentary for so long, and uh, you know, I, I was incredibly excited when they, rec- you know, when they acknowledged that they were going to drop it a little bit early. You know, especially given all the stuff that we're, you know, kind of all dealing with, and uh, it didn't disappoint. So I'm ready. You you know that feeling when you're like starving, and mm-hmm. and they
0: make the joke about the grocery store, but that's not very time relevant. You know, you're starving, and you're like, I could cook, but I'm just looking at you know, skip the dishes or whatever app you got. And you order like an extra large pizza and it's not great it's from the local spot but you annihilate it you know that's the best pizza i've ever had mm-hmm. and then the next time you get that pizza you're not starving and you eat a few pieces and you're like yeah this this pie is pretty mid um i think maybe there's some of that tonight because there's just been nothing like there's just been this abyss of this lack of basketball in our lives sports in our lives um, and I'm just gonna acknowledge that off the hop, but that is my only wet rake moment of the night because I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I loved that NBA Twitter was just all enjoying it together. It was a those two hours just flew by.
1: You, here, here's one for you: on the day when you're starving, you eat that pizza and it's delicious. That's all that matters. <laughs> so for me tonight, I was starving. They healed, they fed me well, and I'm happy about it.
0: Yeah, true, true, true that, and and. The whole time, like, we're going to get into it, but the two hours, there's a very interesting tone where they kind of, you know, you get a little bit of like the psycho that Michael was and and the competitive fiend that he was and also some PR and a little bit more of the history and a little bit more PR and a little bit of idolizing him and a little bit more reality. And it, it was really interesting to see kind of like the hills and the valleys from where, you know, maybe his people had some say, maybe ESPN, you know. Uh, how they arrange things but but i thoroughly enjoyed it through and through so let's start at the hop the first episode um sort of introduces the idea we're at the beginning of the 97 98 season um i think the big moment for everyone uh you know if if you've been around basketball if you're if you're a basketball junkie you know that jerry kraus and and members of that Bulls team weren't always on the best of terms. But, you know, him him laying it down for Phil Jackson saying, this is it. You know, like, whatever, you can win, I think the quote is, you can win 82 of 82, you're gone after this year. Did, that was the big moment for me right off the hop. What about you?
1: Exactly, because, you know, and rest in peace, Jerry Cross, I don't mean any disrespect, but you're exactly right. You know, he was a hated man at that time, Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, leading up to that. And certainly afterwards, when it was the vaunted uh, Tim Floyd era, uh and Chicago Bulls fans will, will recognize that. But yeah, it's absolutely nuts. To, you know like to think that you would want to voluntarily break things up when and I mentioned this on Twitter, when you have Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, and Phil with a group of role players that could still produce at relatively high levels. Like so like for him to for him to be of that mindset. And you know what? Don't get me wrong, you know, I've seen what a prolonged grind could do to a team and, and even a locker room, you know, in general. But part of me will always wonder, you know, like, how many could they have gotten in a row and how long, you know, beyond the, you know, c- continuing to win the titles, how long would they have been a contender uh, beyond, like I said, beyond maintaining that streak?
0: Yeah, and imagine if he wasn't suspended. I mean, took a hiatus, uh, but we won't go there. Um, no, and it, I mean, that was a huge moment. And it's too bad someone tweeted out, and I, I can't remember. I can't credit them because Lord knows so many tweets are flying out during the dark. But they were like... Um, Jordan is getting praised for a lot of things that Kobe got picked on for. And I think he's talking about, like, the practice commentary and some of the other things. But Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate. Um, It made me a little sad to think, like, the Kobe's last dance equivalent won't have the Kobe interviews, you know, like the Kobe retrospective. Yeah. And not to be a buzzkill, but then I thought about that for Jerry Krause. Like, not even from, like, an all-sides perspective. It just would have been interesting... To hear Jerry Crow speak back about it now, as he was also getting fed these interview bits from other people about the team, it's kind of a shame that his input wasn't in there because, you know, while he was obviously gotten his own way and the guys didn't like him, he made some excellent decisions that put them in the position that they were in.
1: Okay, so that, I'm glad that you brought that up because as much as I want to, you know, as much as I will criticize him for the ultimate decision to break things up, uh, leaning up to that, he built a dynasty. He, he built that dynasty. He, like, of course, you've got Michael Jordan. That, that's a great foundation. But they weren't going to win until they brought in Pippen, until they brought in the other pieces. Obviously, in the second second go round, uh, when they brought in you know Rodman, uh, again you know whomever made the decision to bring Phil in, that that was clearly you know that was clearly the right decision. So I, I I hear you, um, but part of me wonders if we might not see you know some footage from him later you know later on down the road because they agreed that you know that Mike you know supposedly gave the okay to do you know uh, to put this together back in summer sixteen, you know so I, I don't know it, it, I I would be shocked if they don't have some Kobe coming up later on if they don't have you know some other figures coming up that you know specifically has surprises
0: Kobe Stern Krauss notably
1: um- yeah. Yeah, and and I mean,
0: and it was great to see uh, Stern for the moment and Craig Sager for the
1: moment. And, Seriously.
0: Yeah, uh, I I do think with, with social media specifically, everyone is is still like for all the information we have and how aware we should be at how easily we're like manipulated by one quote or moment or framing or how the moment is scored in this documentary. Like, there's a lot of pieces going on and. Do you know who the Bulls traded um, the Supersonics for to get Scottie Pippen?
1: If I'm not mistaken, it was Olden Polonese.
0: Yeah, Olden Polonese. Yeah. I had to look up the trade because I was like, what did they give up to get the seventh overall pick? Because that's a pretty big pick. Like that's, mm-hmm. uh, And uh, yeah, great move. And they drafted Horace Grant the year after. Um, pretty big contributor to those first three titles. So Jerry Cross made some great moves. I just think it would have been interesting to hear some commentary. Like, yeah, they can hate me, but... You know, like if he doubled down on the arrogance, that would have been great TV. If he was, <laughs> if he kind of like, you know, found a little bit of humility down the line, and I wish that we could have coexisted together. But man, I'm, I was, I'm thankful to be a part of that. That would have been nice to see too. So it's kind of unfortunate that we didn't get any, any of that really in the first two episodes.
1: Well, I will say this: if he was, you know, like at the end of his life, if he was anything like he was at this time, he would have been doubling down because I can tell you. It's funny. I asked you as we were kind of watching it, we were texting back and forth a little bit, and um, I think I asked you like if you remembered something from, you know, I think the '97 era. And then I realized, why would you? <laughs> why would you remember that? For those of us that were around, like this hatred was real. This hatred was real. And and Jerry, he kind of it was almost like a like a wrestling manager. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that, that type of personality, you know, I'm not going to say that he looked like Paul Bearer, but back in the day I did kind of think that, um, he, but he definitely embraced that type of, you know, that role, uh, which, you know, in, in retrospect, I can appreciate.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And it, I mean, again, like this is going to be interesting viewing. Cause like, I've got friends who, you know, were texting me throughout who are, you know, 10, 15 years older than me and grew up with Jordan. Like Jordan was their guy, like, you know, kind of like LeBron was my guy, yeah. um, for the era. And so, I mean, it's going to be different things, different people. But, you know, I, I liked seeing Rick Talander. Like, I liked seeing some some columnists in there because that's who a lot of, you know, my opinion is based on. Like, I, I, I've gone and read columns from regular <laughs> games in the 90s and 80s because I wanted to know, like, how do people feel? And, like, I don't think you get that necessarily even when you're watching, like, the hardwood classics. And and, and you don't know what the opinion was. And I I think that was a really interesting part of this talk too, was just kind of like the reception from, from players and people around the league as they were discussing at the time, you know, how great Michael was or how special this team was. And that, that really added some flavor to it.
1: You you know what? I really hope that they've kind of focused on over these next few, you know, couple or few episodes or yeah, episodes is uh, the actual opinion on Jordan prior to Pippen getting there. Because I don't know if you you said, you, you know, you've read some columns, there were a lot of folks, not, not not those first two years, but, you know, by year three and four and even five, there were a lot of folks that were like, yeah, you know, this looks great. Uh, you know, it, it's all flashy. And, you know, he can be, yeah, he put up 63 in the garden, you know, like in a big game and all of that. But this isn't really, you know, conducive to overall winning. There were a lot of folks that that, that said he'll never be the type of player that can actually lead a team to success. So I'm really hoping that they kind of focus on that specifically for, you know, for your generation to see.
0: Yeah, and like I've seen a few of those comments, but there weren't many. Because Mm -hmm. I've done this before, trying to get into like debates with old heads on Twitter, and Mm -hmm. I've searched and searched and searched and searched, and like the majority of the thought process was still like he was the man day one. I I I, I hear uh, you, but I'm telling you, like there were a lot of folks that you know that said that they heard like,
1: and and you can. That was the conversation. I
0: I mean, Magic and Bird at the end of the second episode, you know, as Jordan's in his second year, talking about how he's the best player in the game is pretty telling too.
1: Players knew. This is, honestly, it's the same, like, like with Kobe, like, okay. It wasn't, it
0: it wasn't the same, though, because nobody, Kobe, Duncan, Shaq, Garnett, whoever, were not saying in year two and three about Braun, what, you know, what these guys were saying about Jordan.
1: That is accurate. But what I mean, the reason why I say it's the same as, like, with Kobe, like, for instance, like, you know, 06, 07, 08, a lot of the, you know, most of his contemporaries were talking about how you know how great he was, but we have like you know folks that you know kind of do what we do now, speaking about like oh no he was actually trash because these numbers say that. My point is the players always know before you know before the you know before the you know the curve. Yeah, m- maybe. I mean, and the also Mike was that damn good. Like,
0: let's be real. No, he was, but I mean, it's it's just telling. I think. And, you know, the, the, I was making jokes, but people were like, there was no social media at the time. And that's true, too. Like, the, the immediate echo chamber was harder to start up, fire up. Um, I wanted to throw out a shout to Wright Thompson, not that he needs any of my um, shine here. But uh, ESPN writer, he wrote the best feature I've ever read, a long form article about Michael Jordan um, on his 50th birthday. And so I guess this is what, when did this come out? Uh, when did he turn 50? Like well, four or five years ago, at least. Um, but it's called, Michael Jordan has not left the building. And if you haven't read this article, uh, carve out a half hour and, and and saw through it before next week. Because um, it's extensive. It's excellent. It gives you a great snapshot into his mind. And it, you know, to this day still blows my mind. I've never read a more shocking, I don't know tidbit in a feature ever than i read in this and it's about jordan's letter and it was mentioned in the documentary in the first episode and and jordan's mother actually read the letter Mm -hmm. and it's talking about how michael jordan's at unc UNC essentially asking for 20 bucks and p.s please send stamps Mm -hmm. um and in the feature he talks about you know he told his parents food how he always needed money he was hungry um and it just it blows my mind that michael jordan of all people was like having to do that and not to make this a bang on the NCAA um, podcast, but wow, you know, wow. like Michael Jordan should never have had wanted for anything, you know, in college, but um, it, it just always, every time I think about that and then them actually bring, bringing it up on the dock, I thought was a pretty, pretty cool moment.
1: You can spread your arms and and, uh, and pose for the camera as I dunk at home because I will make it about the NCAA. <laughs> That's absurd. Michael Jeffrey Jordan of all players, not saying that it's any more right for you know you know Joe Smo or you know Josh Everly to you know, to go hungry, but yeah, Michael Jeffrey Jordan was going hungry and having to beg you know beg for supplies from his folks. That's yeah, awesome.
0: it is. I mean, it's it's absolutely mind blowing when you think about, it. and and even I'm having a hard time too. And this is one of the things maybe you can help me because I I wasn't obviously alive kicking and, and diving into ball, but you know given the success, you know given the winner against Georgetown in in the freshman year and and the success that he had at the college level and how big a star he already was. And like, you know, Hakeem going one will never upset me because I know how great he was too. And it was a big focus league and even the Bowie too. It's not so much about the draft selection. It was just, where was the cynicism? Like where, where was the criticism? What were people worried about with Jordan coming out of college that, you know, it took year three and kind of a nudge for him to feel like he it was time to go to the pros. When clearly after his freshman year, I mean, how how would a scout not see what he did his freshman year and think this guy special?
1: So I was young, but I can I can absolutely uh, uh, speculate on that, you know, because I, I watched the transition with him. Specifically, it's because we, we had a lot of folks that were old heads, and I'm, you know, this is not bashing on boomers or anything like that. But a lot of folks that didn't see like the future of the league they couldn't they couldn't even fathom a league where a six six guard is leading your team to a title. Um, keep in mind. Like, obviously, a lot has changed over the last five years. But really, in the 80s and 90s, when I was coming up watching it, it was throw the ball inside, then work outside, no matter what. It didn't matter how many shooters you had. It was always work inside out. So the thought always was, you know, the next great big man. You know, like, we, we got to have a big man and then put other pieces around him. So even though it's the dumbest thing ever, and actually, um, Bobby Knight tells a, you know <laughs> tells a great story about it not a fan of him, but I'm a fan of the story is, uh, he was asked, you know, he was essentially asked, you know, uh, Hey, you know what? We don't need Michael Jordan or, uh, we need a center. And he, his answer was play him at center then, because that's the answer. <laughs> you, you don't go away from a guy, you know, from a talent that incredible, but there were a lot of basketball minds that definitely held onto that as a, you know, as a, as a overall mindset, Psh, hell into the nineties, if not longer. Yeah, I
0: mean, it, it's, it, it is crazy, though, that, you know, a 32-2 North Carolina team that won the national championship, um, you know, that saw Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, Sam Perkins, and James Worthy beat Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler at Houston, mm-hmm. that saw them beat, you know, uh, Patrick Ewing <laughs> at, at Georgetown, that there were still questions, you know. and I mean, he's so crazy. I know you're only getting a little bit of tape, but like the stuff that you were seeing like he's so crazy athletic and explosive um it's it's not something you always see and and I, I think if you're honest and you watch you know basketball in the early nineties late eighties, the athleticism is so lacking compared to today's game it, but I that's mean, that's it, not the case when you watched m j yeah know, like, that,
1: you you had less people that were athletic you're know, as athletic as to, you know, today's proper players but you definitely still had some anomalies and you and maybe not to jordan's level but you had other guys that that could go but just by and large it wasn't it wasn't just the norm as it is today but you know of course health and science and training and whatnot uh michael jordan was just light years ahead and shout out to you know sam sam and andy
0: yeah <laughs> and i mean it, it, it was sweet too was actually one of the cooler parts if you're like a diehard was seeing the pippin the Pippen highlights. I mean, mm-hmm. I've I I seen a lot of Jordan highlights at UNC. I hadn't seen a lot of Pippen highlights, not even at Arkansas, but like at high school, at the high school level. So that was that was a really cool look too.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, I mentioned this also uh, on Twitter, of course. Uh, it's at Josh Everly and at Jabari Davis NBA for myself. But I mentioned this. It was great to see him kind of get some roses because specifically, you know, Pippen, and, Pippen is a guy – uh, that I'll be honest with you is one of the more underrated players for me, you know, for my opinion, because we, because we focus so much on Jordan. So because we focus on on the greatness and the six and zero and all of that, but and I think you even mentioned it. It um, it it's just really good to see you know you'll know, see Jordan specifically acknowledging how pivotal Pippen was, not just for that particular run that this documentary is focusing on, but for his entire run.
0: Yeah, and I think Jordan said I don't know what the exact quote is now, but he said. You know, if you say Michael Jordan, think Scottie Pippen or something like
1: that. Like you along be, Yeah, you should be saying his name too or something like that, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I, and he was so good. And Phil Jackson says at one point in the documentary, like, you know, it was, it was disrespectful. Because the whole, I mean, we should get into the Pippen aspect of this. But, you know, mm-hmm. Phil Jackson goes, he says, you know, he might be the second best player in the league. Mm-hmm. And, and if you just started following basketball in the last 5, 10, 15 years you would think Scottie Pippen was like a one- or two-time all-star who was yeah. all right. Yeah. Because, unfortunately, like, and and I'm part of it. I'm not going to – my hands are dirty. I'm in LeBron's camp, you know, mm-hmm. taking my shots when I can. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, he he's portrayed as this, like, total sidekick who couldn't stand on his own, and Pippen was – Maybe even if he isn't top two, like he was one of the five best players in the game Easy. in his, at his peak. And he was, you know, Kawhi Leonard on defense, maybe like a Paul Pierce level offensive player, facilitator, scorer, combo. But he did so much for that team. And the stat that everyone's blown away, for, blown away with, obviously, was that he was the sixth highest paid player on the Bulls going into the 98 season after he had five rings. And he was like the 122nd highest paid player in the NBA, which,
1: you know. Wow. just think, think about it like this during the second 3p he only made a total of just about eight million dollars for that 3p like that that is the craziest thing and I recognize it's you know 25 years later uh you know so inflation and all of that but th- th- I, I can't imagine that would be much more than like 14 15 million dollars right now especially when you consider again Mike Mike is Mike so I'm not questioning his money I'm not one to do that but Mike was making 34 and 33 million uh, uh per year the last two years and you know if you're pippin you know while you of course recognize and acknowledge the greatness of Mike making 8 million over 3 years at that time being the second or third or whatever best player in the world that had the sting
0: yeah and I mean Jerry Cross is the easy one to pick on because he's not there and because things are so well documented but you know jerry reinsdorf is being interviewed at at times during this Uh um documentary and and you know people are talking about him retrospectively as well and they're like you know once you signed a deal he was you signed you signed kind of guy and when you see the contrast from from scotty pippen talking about how in 1991 he signs the seven year 18 million dollar deal because he wants to take care of his family and he doesn't want to risk you know, not to mention it's brought up. He's he's one of twelve children in this family. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't want to risk his family's well being if, if something goes wrong with his career. And then you know, obviously things are going well. He ends up being ten times all defense, seven times all NBA, uh, makes the MVP ballot, uh, six championships. And you know, Jerry Reinsdorf's like, no, he's not going to come back to the table. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty of that mindset too. If you sign a contract, you should should um, honor it in a lot of cases. But he was clearly he got a bad deal here and he more than lived up to his end. And I don't know. I, I I think if anyone, and you know, Jordan talks about, I felt like Pippen was being selfish and that was one of the more cringy moments of the doc for me. I was like, <laughs> come on, man. Like in a really, year where he was making
1: $34 million. <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: and this wasn't he making more than the salary cap yeah, in 98. Some crazy, like you're like, some this, crazy. Yeah. And like, Pip Pip's like, you know, I, I think I'm due for a race. 122nd paid player highest paid player in the nba maybe the second best player in the nba yeah it was just as a bad look but it totally gets frustration yeah
1: if anybody you know i i understand pittman being upset but what i'm also happy is and you just mentioned it i'm glad they kind of laid that out there he was one of 12 he was trying to take like listen here's the thing i saw a lot of folks reacting on twitter and saying like oh he signed a deal dumb," you know like dummy and all of that let me tell, like, let me tell some folks, you know, that it clearly isn't, you know, isn't uh, apparent how things were in 1991. You coming from Arkansas in 1991, dirt poor. There's no way you're, you are signing that deal. You are absolutely signing that deal, folks. you know, folks truly don't recognize the destitute, you know, the, you know situations that people are coming from. Now, in retrospect, it was disappointing, but really the person he should be mad at. And, and I'm, you know, again, you know, I'm not going to speak ill of of the dead in Krause or whatever person that Pippen should be mad at is his representative uh, that, that allowed him to sign that deal uh, that long-term deal with no outs and no flexibility down the line.
0: Yeah. And I I thought it, I mean, just reflecting on how differently things went with Jimmy Butler five years ago, six years ago, when he was in a similar situation um, and, you know, the Bulls wanted him to take a lot less and he gambled on himself and, I don't remember how ridiculous it was, but he went from like a very minimal contract to near max or max. So it's kind of crazy how differently things have played out over time and how, you know, when we talk about a player empowerment, you know, sometimes like things have gone too far where like they're handicapping franchises. There's a reason why there needed to be a major shift in stories like this where, you know, you have one of the best, absolute best players in the NBA who's just getting shafted in a seven year deal with no wiggle room.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's just unfortunate. Like, it, it's one of those situations where, you know, it was kind of like a confluence of things, like him needing – you know, him absolutely needing the money, and, like, and you know, especially at that time in 1991. I mean, let me tell you, in my family, they would have 100% said, hey, go get that money. <laughs> like, don't play any games. Don't play games with it. You got $18 million guaranteed. Go get that money. So
0: It's I, crazy that, that Scotty never won a Defensive Player of the Year. And I was looking at it uh, – he finished second in 95, 96, tied for third with Jordan in 91. But him not having Defensive Player of the Year feels kind of wrong.
1: Here's what sucks about it. He was on the same team as Jordan. And you know what? You poo poo Jordan's defense a bit much, to be honest with you. But he don't you know, like some of his votes will be split. And the unfortunate thing is. People don't, you know, wouldn't acknowledge at that time he was guarding. The, you know he was guarding the number one on the other team for a majority of the game. Now Jordan might switch on to him situationally or like down the stretch of the game, but Pippen was the one that was guarding the number one for a majority of, uh, of of each game. Is it you know it's unfortunate. It, it, it's kind of like Pippen. Do you want to win these six titles and go on this run and be you know a Hall of Famer and do all of these things, or do you want to be the man? And even though I'm sure he would have enjoyed being the man and there were probably times, you know, points in his career where he wanted that. I'm sure he would take, you know, he would take things as they, you know, as they came. Yeah, he would. I, fair enough. And, but like, hey, I don't poo-poo
0: Jordan's defense. Someone was just like, he's who's your top five perimeter defensive players ever. And I was like, Jordan's not there. He might be top 15, <laughs> uh-huh. but he's not top five. I was like. He, he literally, he wasn't taking the number one defensive assignment throughout the majority of that, ty- that, that dynasty because he had Pippen to do it. And it's the same reality with all of these guys who have high usage today, where as much as you make fun of some of these guys for being turnstiles, when you're controlling, you know, every other possession on offense for your team or everyone where you're on the court, you know, you're not going to be able to bring that same level of defensive intensity all the time. And while I think Jordan was an excellent perimeter defender, when he turned it on, he was locked in. I just don't think, from an energy um, place, that he was able to be that dog on defense,
1: possession to possession, that Pippen was. And he also didn't have the same length. So I'm really happy that you could, that you you know clean that up because I thought I thought you were leading into <laughs> leading into you know, going down a different road. And I could see, I can <coughs> hear, see, feel Jordan fans and MJ fans uh-huh. just going nuts. Look. Pippen was, you know, Pippen was, you know, so much of a uh, so versatile as, as a defender. It made sense to put him on the number one guy. And you're right, Jordan was carrying so much of the load offensively, especially given the way that the game was played at that time. Um, you know that that you know it, it it would have been crazy to you know tire him out on both ends. But let's just keep it real. He's not you know like compared to these you know th- these guys that are doing it today, hardening them. Those are turnstiles. Jordan was not that. Like he actually, no no he actually gave crazy effort. He just was on, on the secondary guy. I, I I don't know
0: that he gave crazy effort all the time either. <clears throat> and Dude, I like people people him. talk about, people talk about, and for example, and pe- people who think that comparing Jordan and Kobe and LeBron and all these guys to each other all the time is an insult, it's a compliment because you yeah. don't bring up other names. And I'm going to bring up Kobe because early Kobe was a dog on defense. And I remember being at a stars camp at like a young age and they were showing us Kobe's D and how he got down and how his feet were always moving. And that defense started to trail off as he got later in his career why because shaq not because he stopped caring not because Kobe didn't want to win um, but because his role on in offense increased exponentially especially after Shaq left and he had to carry a big load it, it's just hard to yeah. give it all all 48 every possession
1: that's 100 real and you know even though you're right Kobe could still d up from like say 06 to 2010. It wasn't an every single possession thing like it was, say, from 96 or, you know, 97 through, you know, 03 04. And part of that is just like not only just, you know, not only do you have a larger responsibility and larger role, once you get to 10 years in the league, <laughs> those, you know, the, the body simply can't do what it used to do on, on such a regular basis. So I get that.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's – I think in general um, – They did. uh, I'm sure we get into it more, but at the beginning of this documentary, like winning takes a toll. Yeah, you know, keeping guys checked in when you've been that successful takes a toll, and we've seen it very recently with the Warriors. We saw it with the Lakers. We're we're reliving it a little bit with the Bulls in this documentary. Uh, Let's let's talk about the practice cut for a minute, (laughs) because I I would, and I'm not joking. I would watch ten hours of Michael talking shit. At yes. practice, just cutting guys up. And I don't know if the, the, Harp did something, he was slow on the switch or something. And he's like, Harper, are you could be just yelling at him. And I was like, this would be so great because this, this is the reality, right? Like you, you don't get to be this great if you're not nitpicking and pushing guys constantly especially in the run-up for number six you
1: you know what I love the most is that they gave that and I'll be honest with you I had this I had you know a note on this for the what I'm most excited about you know for you know next couple episodes is that I hope they dig further into the practice battles I hope that they you know you'll really show some of the you know added motivation you know MJ reportedly and even admittedly used um one of the things that I laughed, you know, the hardest about is like when people would complain about that and say like, oh, look at this guy. He's not a good teammate because he's yelling at his guy. Let me tell you something. Is Magic Johnson generally considered like one of the nicer teammates, uh, you know, of the this, of this, supreme, supreme talents? Would, yeah, would, you would definitely you don't hear anything. So, you yeah. uh, two, know, two quick backstories on that. One, time, you know, Michael Thompson's first practice with the Lakers, right? Now, obviously, Michael Thompson was a good, was a, was a very good player in his own right, but then, yeah, you, you know, by the time he joined the Lakers, he was, you know, relegated to a, you know, uh, to a backup role because, of course, you're not starting over Kareem. Uh, but he said in his very first practice, he's, you know, he's trying to, you know, impress. He's running the running the lane, and um, he was trying to run the lane in order to get in position to, you know, to box out uh, because he figured the pass was going to go to Worthy. And he said that, you know, right when you, know, right when he turned his head, the ball hit him right in the face. And he said, and and he said it was Magic saying, "Hey, big guy, pay attention. You know, like 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 don't. If you're running that lane, be ready." And another Magic story is from James Worthy in his rookie season. He's running through the motions, going out, you know, going out there doing his thing. And he and he missed a line. He missed a layup in line. And he says that Magic stopped the practice, screamed at him, pulled him over to the side, and said, "Hey, we don't do this here. We <laughs> the, we we. It's it's excellence here, and that's it." My point is, is even the nicest guy, even the, you know, the guy that is, you know, give you the, you know, the showtime smile and all of that if you're a killer, you're a killer. And that, you know, that, and Michael Jordan is probably the killer of all killers. So I'm, I'm here for it.
0: Yeah. And the differentiation to me is like holding, holding a teammate accountable in practice
1: mm-hmm.
0: is fine because that, that promotes the team doing better and you're handling that in-house. Going after said teammate through the media or on social media today
1: yes. is a
0: different level because then you're publicly humu- humiliating that individual rather than working with them face-to-face, man-to-man for the betterment of the team. And, and I, I think that's a pretty, like, easy distinction to make. So, like, well, you know, maybe punching someone at practice might be a tad <laughs> overboard. <laughs> um, you know, you, you get getting on guys at practice happens at every level.
1: I'm really hoping they ask her about the punch. I'm really, really hoping that they ask him about getting socked out <laughs> socked out over a scrimmage loss. Oh, I, I'm
0: sure that they got, it. They got yeah. it. it. It's like a big thing. Um, I, I, I want to talk about the coaching story, but let's, because I do have it in the notes and I'm getting carried away. Okay. Um, what was your biggest wow moment of the first two episodes of The Last Dance?
1: Oh, there were a couple, and I'll be quick about it. The Bulls being outdrawn by an indoor soccer team in their own stadium when Jordan got, you know, got there. Like that's that's the biggest, like, are you freaking kidding me deal ever? And I recognize the game used to you know, like, you know, playoff games used to be, you know, tape delayed, finals games used to be tape-delayed, but that's ridiculous. Um and also the same, you know, uh, well, two more things. Uh, totally forgot that Pippen was waiting, you know, he waited to get for that tendon surgery. I totally forgot that just before the season, which you know, I mentioned it on the thing or actually I referenced it is an uncanny, you know, sort of coincidence in a similar decision that led to basically Kobe and Shaq boiling over. Um, I don't know if you remember, you'll know, remember that saga where, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, got, got hurt on company time, you know, going to heal on company time. And then the, the last thing was just that Rod the word saying that it took him two weeks to realize Mike was the best player on his roster. <laughs> like, in my head, I was like, what the hell took you that long? Like when you picked him, you should have known that. But yeah. What about yours?
0: Um I had a I had two two. Um the first one was, you know, co- cocaine in the NBA got a long complicated history. Mm-hmm. And uh if you read into the 70s, like there were real worries that like blow was going to sink the league mm-hmm. and that wasn't gone in the 80s. And, and so um <laughs> yeah. hearing that get introduced kind of like with a mild manner um introduction to kind of like we're gonna talk about this briefly and michael jordan immediately being like well i didn't i've, I've never i haven't seen that i didn't see that um i didn't drink at the time as, as she's got a four-finger scotch on the <laughs> on, on the table next to his chair just just had me rolling and then immediately following the like the jordan like guys were doing things that i didn't see um he tells a story about how he walks in on his whole team into doing it his rookie year and i was like so you didn't see it or you saw your whole team do it immediately the second you got to the bulls i just thought that whole sequence was so brutal because they obviously didn't want to dive into it and then it kind of got put in and i just i thought that whole 10 minutes was hilarious hysterical
1: did you ever watch the chappelle show back in the day the rick james uh, episode in particular
0: no. Well, yeah, I've seen it, but I don't remember it well enough off my head. He basically just
1: said, hell no. Come on, man. I would, I would never just put my feet up on a man's couch. Just kick him, you know, step on a man's couch. And then in the very next shot. Yeah. I remember sticking you know, I remember <laughs> stepping on Eddie's couch. That's basically what Jordan did. And not only that, he was dry snitching, saying, yeah, all my other teammates were doing it. I get it. It's, it's 30 years later, but yeah, you, know, you were snitching a little bit, Mike.
0: <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, it did make me think Roland Lazenby, uh, great great author wrote Absolutely. um wrote a book about jordan actually too but i read showboat um and it was about kobe bryant last summer and there was like uh the lakers actually hired people um to to, to like they tailed their players they like private investigators tailing their players to find out if they were doing a blow at the time and so i, was, <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, it,
1: it makes sense man like well
0: but, but like when you know that like when you know the history of the league and like the culture and how serious it was and then how it kind of got introduced and jordan's like no i didn't see that Except for my rookie season, where I saw everybody on the team doing it, I just couldn't help. I blew up at that point. I was just laughing so hard, man. Do you know,
1: the um, story. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it another time. Remind me to tell you about the story of uh, Roy Tarpley almost being a Laker.
0: Okay, yeah, we'll do. We'll do that after the show. Um, I would say that moment was a big one, and then, um, as it was mentioned earlier already, the Scottie Pippen being the 122nd pay player in the league was was a pretty like wow. That's a huge. That's a huge stat. Yeah. Um, I will. Ahmad Rashad makes an appearance. They they interview him, and he talks about uh, how Michael Jordan uh, never let the fans down, and he played every game like it was his last. And there's a it's a big hyperbolic spiel in theory, right? Like he's just talking him up, and so. I'm thinking, you know, I've got a phone. So as I'm watching this, I go to basketball reference. And I'm like, I wonder how that's true. And Ahmad Rashad cites 12 points. He's like, you'll never see Jordan just score 12. He wouldn't do it. But 12 feels kind of ambiguous. And like 10, we, we know we all like double digit numbers. So I go to basketball reference. I, I Google or not Google basketball reference. I play index search, search Michael Jordan. How many times did this guy score 10 or less points in a basketball game? And the, the man did it one time. Yeah. One yeah. time. To- like, it, it's not hyperbole. Literally one time from 84-85 from when he joined the Bulls to 98 when he left the Bulls for the last time. One time he scored less than 10 points.
1: Man, Josh, Mike was not playing with you. I'm not like, I, it. when describing Mike, it all sounds like hyperbole because he was that ridiculous. <laughs> Mike wasn't playing games with you. Like, I, I can't wait for you, I can't wait for everyone to see the rest of the documentary because I hope they, I hope they show just how ridiculous that man was. And honestly, you can't, you can't, you can't appreciate it. And speaking generally, not you, you can't appreciate him enough via clips. You can't appreciate him enough via, you know, like, you know, just watching an off game here and there. Like, Mike was such just, you know, Mike was just an indestructible force. That, at least that's what it felt like. Like the same, okay, so Shea Sorano, great author, obviously, you know, everybody knows who he is. He talks about, you know, his greatest respect that he can pay to Kobe was that he, you know, that he put, you know, he basically said, like, that MF put fear in in my heart. Like, I was scared of him. That's what Mike was every game. It didn't matter. It was like, you know, he he could start off slow. He was getting 30. And if he wanted to, he was getting 40. And if you pissed him off, he was getting 50. Like, that was Mike. Oh,
0: yeah. And and I hope we get more of those stories. I hope we get more of the practice. And I know he was a killer, but, like, that's a that's a lot of night there's a lot of games in the NBA season mm-hmm. and there was a lot of winning and the disease of more and we've talked about like how hard it is to keep that oh, I don't want to say like that mamba mentality you the killer <laughs> on a on a nightly basis but that is really incredible yes. no nights off is is an incredible thing and um there's two more issues I really want to touch on before we go to some other things tonight and and one of them I guess we'll we'll talk about the load management that might that might went under for his broken foot and he had seven minutes a half and they had to stick it, stick to it. And I got my jokes off on Twitter, but I thought the interesting thing that Michael Jordan said was he was super pissed off and he, he didn't like that ownership was also angling for a better spot in the draft. Uh, literal laugh out loud at 30 and 52, making the playoffs. And then, <laughs> and then them getting swept by the Celtics in the first round, you know, being scored like the pinnacle of an action movie. And yeah, the irony wasn't lost on me, but what, what Mike said was genuine. I think it's crazy to expect players to kill themselves, possession to possession, mm-hmm. every switch, every every screen they got to set, every rebound, every whatever, box set. And then at the same time, you can give a directive like, hey, well, if we didn't make the playoffs, that'd be great. And, and I think the taking mentality has been over-glorified the last few years obviously due to Philadelphia and other partners like athletes should never want to tank. And I'm I'm glad Michael said that now owners shouldn't force players to play hurt. So I don't want to go too far, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm glad he touched on like
1: how awful the tanking mentality is for athletes. It's as simple as this for me. If you can play play, if you're hurt or you know you got an injury that you're worried about, you know, uh, you know making worse, then you know take the necessary time. But if you can play, go out, you know, go out there and play. I, you know, I appreciate Mike's mentality. You know, I appreciate Kobe, you know, uh, you know Kobe's mentality on that matter. If you can get out there and put on a show, it's a lot of people in that, you know, it, you know in that stadium that may only have this one game to come to. So let's get out there and do it.
0: Yeah, and on a serious note, it's it's if you can play, play like you said and And it is commendable to be hurt and to play, mm-hmm. but you're not less of you're not less of a man no if you can't go and you put yourself first
1: oh because no. it, it's a
0: game that's 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 that's, that's something that i I'm, I'm not saying this for you, oh, okay I'm yeah. just saying that something like the average sports fan has really struggled with yeah. understanding that sometimes, especially when guys are like out longer than they expect to be, and a doctor somewhere has said no, they're good to go, and the player like. AKA Kawhi Leonard, a couple years ago, no, like I'm not right yet.
1: You know what ends up uh, playing into it, and you may think this is silly, but I really do genuinely believe this, especially like with football fans. We sometimes will, you know, deify or immortalize these guys, or even unfortunately compare them to soldiers. Um, So the point where it's like, John, come on, be a soldier, be a warrior, just get out (coughs) there. Uh, And I think that leaks into some of our opinions on whether or not an athlete should should, play no matter what. Uh, To be clear, and I know that you're not saying it, but for the listener's sake as well, uh, when I say if you can go, go, that's specifically like if you're healthy. If you're hurt, I have no problem. I've been outspoken on this, and we both discussed this on different shows and at different times on Twitter. If you're hurt, you're not doing doing yourself nor the team any good if you go out there and make it worse. So. Well, but yeah, um, it, it really—you know—it circling back to your original point, it's really a testament to the—you know—to the will and determination that that guy had to be out there all, the, you know, you know, pretty much every game.
0: And the the last, the last, just to kind of wrap the last dance episodes one and two that I want to talk about. Uh, what did you think about the interview with the high school coach? And I forget his name.
1: Uh, you know what? Refresh me. Uh, because let me see. What did I miss that part?
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So they bring in the high school coach and they talk about like one of the most iconic Jordan stories, probably even to people who don't like basketball because it's it's used as this lesson to not give up on your dreams the first time you're rejected. And the sentiment is good, but essentially he got cut his first year of high school Mm. and they brought in his high school coach and his high school coach cited his size and said, you know, yeah, I saw him. He tried out and it wasn't, to be honest with you, it wasn't anything special. And then obviously, you know, there's a couple of interviews. People people say that, you know, I think it was his brother or someone said that like his, his growth from that first year to the next year was tremendous and he got way better and he took that personal. He worked every day in the summer, yada, yada, yada. Um, I have always loved the sentiment when people say this, but I always think this is a case of some coach who thought he knew better or didn't Mm -hmm. like the kid and just cut him. And to see him on this documentary, what is it like 30 years later, 40 years later being like, yeah, 40 years later being like, no, I didn't see anything special. Like Michael fucking Jordan. (laughs) You are still going to dig your heels in, pretend like, no, he had to, he had to get better. It wasn't that in the two hours where I watched 50 kids in a layup line I was, maybe I just missed him. It was, he needed to work hard. And like, I, I can't believe just doubling down on that for 40 years. Like I would be like, you know what, my bad. I obviously missed an obvious one
1: here. Exactly, sorry folks exactly especially since if i'm not mistaken he was cut from the jv team you can't tell me that there were <laughs> that even at 510 even at you know you know not quite developed that he couldn't you know couldn't make a jv team but he was so you're you know to to that point there's a lot of folks especially you know uh sometimes with coaches or you know folks in those types of uh, positions that aren't willing to just say hey you know what i was wrong on that <laughs> and, and and this would be the easiest path. Like, yeah, you know what, Jordan—that's all I, you know. That, that you could look into the camera and just smile about it and be like, "Yeah, I, I guess I messed that one up." But you know, there's some folks that aren't willing to just acknowledge that.
0: Yeah, and I, I you know what, like I—the like, sentiment behind what people take from that story is great, so that's fine. I'm just always, I just, I was in disbelief right here. There's just no way he could have made the JV team. Like, there's no way he wasn't good enough. But anyway. Um, I digress. All right. So, uh, episodes three and four—what are you most excited for?
1: Well, I've kind of already spilled them. Um, I you know, like—I like said—I hope they dig in. You know, uh, dig into uh, the practice battles. I hope they you know do a little bit more behind the scenes. Um, I specifically want them to dig into his relationship with his father a bit more, uh, as obviously this is not a spoiler. We know he passes away prior to the '97-'98 season. Uh, they've done a, a, a very nice job of sort of introducing the family dynamics, but I want more of that specifically in order to kind of lay the you know, lay the picture out of just how devastating that was, that loss was you know, when it happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think any, anything, any other retrospective clips, I can get of players talking about Jordan in the early years. I'll take them because that, that intrigues me. Yeah. Um, how many others, so I was thinking about this 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. Obviously we're not going to give 10 episode documentaries to every player. No. Like 10, 10, all love. Danny Granger was really good for a minute, but we're right. not going to give 10 episodes to Danny Granger. Right. <laughs> but like, um, <laughs> who, how many other NBA players would you, do you think that, you know, Corona aside mm-hmm. would draw, I mean, we're not going to draw like it's Mike. So we're not going to draw the same, but like a, a rather large audience on a Sunday night going up against whatever HBO show, Thrones, West Westworld, whatever, Mm -hmm. is gonna draw a huge crowd, be a social media experience. Like what other players would you watch a ten hour doc on?
1: I've got one that I know for a fact would hit, and I've got one that you know may not be as popular, but it needs to happen at some point. The first one's Kobe. You, you know yeah. the timing of it. It, it you know, from the, you know obviously the you know uh, disappointing way that you know his life you was know, his life ended to uh, the whole process of growing up in Italy and then going to you know going to Philly and you know being an outsider there. And what that would have done to an 11 and 12 and 13-year-old kid, you know, his psyche, to, you know, making it to, you know, being successful and, you know, being a state you know, state champ and all of that, you know, gone on and on and on, Shaq and the life off the court, you know, and the battles that he, you know, that he struggled with there and, you know, the back and forth with Phil. And then obviously the ultimate success, I think that easily could be, you know, an 8 to 10 parter. Uh, and any other one that I want to see, and to be honest with you all, a lot of people would poo-poo it. It would be phenomenal. It's Kareem, uh, from winning everything his entire life. You know, from dominating at Power High School to you know being at UCLA, and the NCAA actually changed the rules due to you know his dominance. Uh, to, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks years and then the Lakers years and, you know, post-career philanthropy work. And, you know, you, you could go all types of, you could go into all types of stories about, you know, the situation when his house burned down in, in the 70s. And that's, it, it kind of led to him finding out that his financial advisor had robbed him blind. And like that led to even more, you know, like of his like, you know, distrust or mistrust of, you know, like of people just in general. Uh, that could also be a really good one.
0: Yeah, I think it could too. Yeah. Um- I, I was thinking about this too because I would watch probably a lot more than the average person would watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, I, I would love to see one um on Vince Carter. Okay. And I would love to see the impact that he had on Canadian hoops. I would love to see, you know, everything that happened with him being as great as he was at UNC. Um, The whole issue with him going back for his graduation, the Raptors playoffs, you know, him getting the redemption, hitting the game winner for the Mavericks. Uh, The second act of his career, the down, like Carter had some real ups and downs. Like, not not doing well with USA Olympics. Um, I think there would be a lot of, of drama and things to unpack there over his 25 relative years of basketball um, intrigue. But that was like the most obscure I think I'd go before I, I felt like the masses would uh, drop off. I, I think Kobe will be next. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that Kareem would be the same draw, even though I do think, again, it would be great. Mm-hmm. I think Kobe will be next. I know that LeBron will get his. Yeah, for sure. Twenty thirty years down the line, I'm sure it will also be excellent, and that would be the one I'd want to watch. But I would happily watch one on Shaquille O'Neal, oh,
1: yes. Kevin Garnett.
0: Uh, I'm trying to think of some other other characters, and it, you know, I, I think the this this concept might be great too. But maybe it's just a two hour one. Yeah, like you know, I, I think Allen Iverson is is another one that a lot of people would be interested in. I don't know if I want ten hours of Allen Iverson, but what if you give me like a jam packed two hour? The answer. for sure I think that would kill in the two-hour window
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah
0: so I I, I think this is a winning format though I really do I I think the marketing for this was great I think the time slot's great I think people are really excited
1: I got I have another quick idea and actually I, I thought you would be sentimental about it but I can actually wrap it into one how about the the impact that the world players have had like, you you can go into Dirk, you can go into Akeem, you can go into Arvidas, you can go into Drazen, you can go on down the line. But, like, the early years and then, obviously, uh, the, you know, the, the transition of the entire league as a result, that would be Yeah, great. that
0: would that'd be great, too. And I, I would love to, like, be on a casting, for lack of a better term, panel for that. Because, like, I, I think there's just a whole list of guys. Uh, Arvidas, Dirk, uh, Yao, and Nash come mm-hmm. to mind right away. And just,
1: yeah. yeah I mean, because that that you know that one could lead into conversations about Mike D'Antoni and the fact that Joe Joe Belly Bean Bryant was playing with him overseas, <laughs> or playing either with or against him overseas. And that was you know Mike D'Antoni was Kobe's favorite player, and like how you know D'Antoni brought a lot of the you know you know free flowing offense and a lot of those you know a lot of that mentality from you know the European game. It's been
0: like, probably ten years since I read Shaq Uncut. Mm. which is his his biography but didn't like shaq and kobe play a game in like europe against each other or something like wasn't there like a moment where they're both overseas or something
1: i don't know there's like a crazy but because their age difference wouldn't you know would have made that tough.
0: they're only what four years apart yeah five
1: yeah Yeah. but yeah
0: no i i I thought there was something like that or like they bumped into each i don't know but that would be interesting too i'm sure um Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna carry on. We've got a couple other things to talk about this episode. Uh thank you again to all the listeners um who are going out there, uh rating the podcast, subscribing to the podcast, filling out the polls, the forms, interacting with us, you make the show what it is. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the show, if you haven't liked, rated, and reviewed the show, please do that because you know the jokes come at a cost. And I think that me making fun of Jordan at times during the documentary. Might have rattled the cages of a few people, and we got a one-star review, which is, which is pretty heartbreaking. And we would like to keep that as close to an even five as we can. So if you haven't done that, if you enjoy the show, if you like giving me and Jabari a hard time on Twitter, please do take a second and do that. And before we talk about um, our movie review of the week, the, the show that we're binging, and our form of uh, for the episode, which is the players who had their legacies most improved by winning a title any given year, and thank you to all the voters who filled that out. Um, let, let, let's take a minute and let's talk about Bet Online. With currently no actual NBA action, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Now, Jabari, this forum this week, I, I love this talking point. This is one of my favorite, like, we're at the bar conversations. And uh got a great turnout. A lot of people had a lot of input, kind of, you know, brainworked the idea with people online and then put together a list of players with with the question, the hope of answering um, which which title changed a player's legacy the most. Um Just really quickly, you know, I know you put together a list of five. You just want to rattle off your five really quickly, and then I'll take you through the poll results.
1: Sure. Uh, Paul Pierce, 2008. Kyrie, 2016. Uh, Chauncey Billups, 2004. Kyle Lowry, 2019. And your boy Dirk,
0: 2011. Yeah. And shocker, some of those made the poll. Now, the poll ended up – I ended up taking 24 suggestions. Okay. Um, I added two of my own, and then we got some others in here. So I, I think there ended up being like 32 different players got votes. Before I rattle off the top 10, um, the one that I had in my top five that I think, you know, got shafted a little bit, maybe speaks to the age demographic on Twitter, Jerry West, 1972. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The logo, man. Nine final. Could you imagine if Jerry West never won one?
1: Yeah, it it, it, if I'm not mistaken, he was 0 and 8 at that point. Like that, I can't even imagine. And again, you know, these guys are supreme. You know, supremely you know, talented, and you have a determination that's you know unquestionable, right? I can't imagine getting there at like six, number seven, number eight, dropping all of those, and then saying, okay, you know what? Let's do it again next year.
0: <laughs> yeah, one and one and eight in the finals is not ideal. Yeah, but but like that that's you know stability, the success speaks like. You can you can understand how great they were, and you know how tough those Celtics were, but the man is the logo. You know, one of the first early long bombers, and and to never have won, I I thought that one got didn't quite get enough respect because it ended up finishing like 14th on the list. But.
1: but you're right, it's a it's a generational thing, and you know, just want to mention Jerry West. If I'm not mistaken, is the only player uh, to win the MV, finals MVP on in a losing effort.
0: Yes, he is. Even though LeBron should have won it in 2015, and Andre Iguodala right. having a finals MVP is what it is. Um, <laughs> <B-man>. <laughs> sips another one. Um, okay, number 10, um, according to the voters, was Steph Curry in 2015. So prior to Kevin Durant, uh, the Warriors ring, mm-hmm. 67 wins following an MVP campaign where he edged out James Harden, and Rockets fans were bitter for the very first time. B-man. Um yeah, I mean, not a lot to add. That's that's a fine addition. Um yeah. I think I don't I I don't know if it like catapulted him up so much, maybe. But then I think you know, winning two more in the unanimous MVP the next year, it's hard to remember in that moment for me a little bit.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say it's just because like we have the you know we have the luxury of knowing you know how great he is ultimately you know or how how great he's been, but at that time it definitely put him it put him. It answered a lot of questions that some people had, but then you still had a lot of idiots that were like, oh, you know, Steph's still weak, this, that, and the other. It's like there, there, there's a certain you know portion of NBA Twitter in particular that will always just like, go to the negative when it comes to a player, unless that player plays you know for their specific team. But I, I think it did put them over to home, so I, I can see why that was in there.
0: I do, I do distinctly, like, my one takeaway from that title was you can win with a jump shooting team. Mm-hmm. Not only is, like our team's getting faster and we're taking more threes and that's an easy way to, to win games in the regular season or catch people sleeping, you can win that title in that way. Um, And I think Charles Barkley needed that lesson
1: more than anyone, but I I think that was the lesson that that's the one big takeaway from that year. It's funny that we both had the same note on that. I I didn't have it written down, but the minute you said that, I was like, yeah, and Barkley was still arguing that they couldn't uh, down the stretch of
0: year two. I th- yeah, I think Barkley was arguing that they couldn't, like as Durant was holding up his second finals MVP, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number, number nine, Hakeem Olajuwon, 1995. So Hakeem's second ring.
1: So I get why it's on there. But let's be real about this. If Jordan had been there and been fully healthy, the same people that questioned Hakeem would still say, oh, he couldn't be Jordan. Because if Jordan's there and fully healthy, I don't think he beats Jordan. Uh, so for me, it didn't it didn't like you know solidify anything because I I grew up you know idolizing Hakeem and trying to do the dream shake and trying to do all of those moves even as a you know five ten guy in the post. <laughs> so yeah, um, I get it, but I think Hakeem was 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 always one of the all time greats.
0: Yeah, and see, like I I disagree on that premise. And um, we should do an episode all like I, we should just argue what ifs one mm-hmm. day in the summer mm-hmm. when we've officially, you know, gotten off our hill and surrender that the season's not coming back because as of right now the season's coming back we're getting playoffs but if it comes to that point we should do this I, I think the the Rockets thrash the Bulls in ninety five if it happens
1: um, because the Bulls would be tired or, or worn out by that run or because well it, 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 dep- it, it depends
0: it depends it depends on what the what if is but I I think. Jordan's hiatus in 94 and, and most of 95 was really important to the next repeat because they needed to get back to that. They needed to get knocked down to be hungry again. And maybe not Jordan, but, like, the whole team. And, like, eight in a row is, is, a, is a tall order. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, the, they didn't have Rodman. Mm-hmm. And in 95, if you remember, like, the the last guy to beat Jordan really, like when it mattered, was were Shaq and Penny and that magic team mm-hmm. and and Shaq beat up on, on the the Bulls and Tony Kukic and Luke Longley were not doing anything to hold down Shaq. And then those same that same magic team went and got swept by the Rockets in the finals. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't think they had an I don't think that 95 Bulls team that didn't yet have Dennis Rodman had any answer, any any option for Hakeem Olajuwon. I, I really do think the Rockets are gonna win. But I, I get where you're coming from.
1: P- P- Penny and Shaq, they went up against a they went up against a a, a half speed Jordan. If is full speed, I I yes, I think Shaq destroys you know destroys their front line. They weren't they weren't beating Mike, man. Maybe. <laughs> the, 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 M- I hear I, you. It, it, I don't know. There, there's man. no way to say one way or the other, but yeah, yeah. It, 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 it it is a fun conversation, and I can't wait to have. It.
0: There's just a, there's just a reason, man. That whenever talent gets that stacked. And however stacked it gets, because when the Warriors got KD, people were like, they're going to win five in a row. Mm-hmm. And personalities didn't allow it for, for it to be that way. Yeah. Now, you know, you could argue the other way. Maybe they went in 94 or 95, but things get so bad in-house at that point that, you know, it blows up earlier. You could argue that too. But I, I just think eight in-house is a tall order. But anyway, yeah. on, on the Hakeem front, they had won in 94. The Rockets kind of dogged it a little bit in 95. Hakeem was getting um, some crap for being, uh, you know, for for dogging it in the regular season. He didn't win the MVP. David Robinson did. And then he kind of embarrassed <laughs> David Robinson in the conference finals. Um, and, you know, of course, then he's up against the young Shaq, who just beat Jordan. And he wins the title and averaged like 30 points a game in the final. So, yeah, big ring for
1: Hakeem. I get it. Did you ever watch that series against Robinson? That that specific series? I've only seen one game. Dude, go back and watch, man. He, that, that man embarrassed that man. Like, it was one of those where that man has a family. <laughs> like, don't do this. <laughs> Anyhow, sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I feel like that's one of the ones, too, would have been great to watch in the moment because of the narrative buildup, you know, with them yes. both being rivals in Texas, the MVP one year after another. I think that would be, in the moment, that's a great setup for a series. Incredible. Number eight was Chauncey Billup's two thousand
1: four. Yeah, prior to setting you know, prior to, prior to settling with the Pistons, Chauncey was a bit of a journeyman. Like a lot of people don't really don't you know, realize that. He had shown some flashes and obviously showed that he had talent, but he really hadn't been able to put it together anywhere. Uh certainly, you know, put it together anywhere near the finals MVP level that he played at with that group, you know, obviously uh for Larry Brown. So this is this is number one for me.
0: Yeah, I mean Chauncey Billups suited up for four teams before he got to Detroit.
1: Yeah, it was uh Boston, the Nuggets, I think. Yeah, he was he was he bounced around.
0: Yeah, Celtics Raptors, Nuggets, Wolves. Yeah. And he kind of found himself a little bit with the Wolves and then really picked it up at the Pistons. But um it's it's interesting. I mean Chauncey Billups and Kyle Lowry had the exact same yep. career and very similar number. It's eerie how, how similar their career started and how their numbers turned out and then the titles, but um It's a really interesting comp. To this day, one of my, uh, favorite pieces, Rick Buecher, um, believe it or not, Rick Buecher, oral history on that or 4 title. And there's, and there's a, there's a quote, um, from Chauncey Billups where he was like, we knew we talked internally. They were like, if, if we force Kobe to beat us, he won't be able to, to say no. And, uh, or if if we double shack, we force Kobe to beat us, he won't be able to say no. Mm-hmm. And there's their their chemistry won't work. And they basically tried to dare Kobe into beating them and they won that series. And I know a lot went into it, but it, it was a really interesting series. And that Pistons team I think is obviously very special to that market. And, you know, they kind of caught the right time situation but uh yeah i get the 0-4 chance
1: what's ugly about that situation is obviously uh carl malone you know went down with an injury and that that really hurt the lakers because they were playing big minutes of slava Medvedenko and like brian cook like <laughs> in the finals uh but a lot of people don't realize this gary payton this was you know this was reported at the time Gary Payton actually went to Phil either down the stretch of the season or in the actual playoffs and said like you know post me back in the rotation because I, it just doesn't feel right, which is the craziest thing in the world to me because the glove was you know was as as intense as they come but I don't know what it was. Well actually I know he said that he just did not feel comfortable playing in the triangle. He never did. So like you're right, there's a lot that went into that series and it's unfortunate for Lakers fans that it went down that way. But you know what? Kudos to you know kudos to Pistons fans.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's crazy how terribly Gary Payton and Karl Malone yes. uh, turned out. It's it's a good thing that two Hall of Famers never joined up later with Kobe and also didn't work out.
1: Um, Go to hell, two thousand eleven is your one and only. I'm gonna every time you every time you you throw shots, I'm gonna remind you that you're one and only, and your it's special, and it was still your
0: the life. most recent. So you've always Never
1: won in life. <laughs>
0: Number seven was uh, Paul Pierce, 2008. Mm-hmm. This was my number two. This should be way higher. Yeah Paul, Paul Pierce is not Paul Pierce is nowhere near as significant if the Celtics don't trade for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. Ray Allen was more efficient and better in the finals, should have been their finals MVP didn't get the vote because Pierce was the hometown boy, and it was close enough that they gave it to him. And Kevin Garnett was like third on the MVP ballot and one defensive player of the year in 08 when they won that title and was the best player on that team. But somehow Paul Pierce's stock just absolutely skyrocketed after this title. And he went from being, you know, a very good all-star wing to, you know, a first ballot Hall of Famer type guy in at least his own mind. And uh, yeah, I, I think he should be higher than seven, but your thoughts.
1: People think that I'm being a hater when I say, you know, in agreement with what you just said that Paul Pierce was the third best player on that team, but it's the truth. Like it, not just the third best, the third most impactful. Um, I do recognize, you know, why he ended up getting that Finals MVP, even though I disagree with it. Uh, I do recognize why we show him the love that he you know, that he has now, because you look know, once you get that, you know, once you get a ring and you get a Finals MVP, there's not a lot that we can, you know, we can do to, you know, to, you know, to tear you down. But I agree with you. Uh, there is no chance in the world that we'd be talking about Paul Pierce as a Hall of Famer. There's no chance in the world that we would be told, you know, that we would place Paul Pierce in the same conversation that we, you know, that we really, stick, if we're not being haters, that we should have him in right now. So Yeah, and, and I mean, he was a really good player,
0: and he did, you know, down the stretch, he became a good two-way player, and he found other ways to contribute, and that happens when you're on a team that's great, and those Celtics teams were really good for a few years, and if they'd come together earlier, they probably would have more than one ring. But, you know, people, we talk about Pippen with The Last Dance. Um, you can talk about Curry. You can talk about Wade. You can talk about Stars sacrificing to win. Ray Allen was averaging like 27 points a game the mm-hmm. year before Boston traded for him. And then he went there, and he was their floor spacer, and he was their third option. And he got treated the worst by the franchise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I'm not saying that he was better than Paul all the way through, but I think he was. <laughs> so I am saying that. Yeah, I, I, I think his peak, he was better, so... It worked out very nice for Paul, all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. And honestly, congrats to him. I'm not going to take anything away from him, except for the fact that that was the most bush league whack, you know, punk stuff ever, faking like you had a knee injury because you had to poop. Yeah, and I and I'll take
0: this ch- time to point out that Ray Allen was one game away from being the guy getting curb stomped by Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, O'Neal in the O one Finals.
1: <laughs> yeah, he don't he don't want that.
0: He did not want yeah. any part of that. Well, think about how celebrated Iverson is for getting to that finals or winning a game and stepping over a guy.
1: I mean, Iverson was a nasty dude, too. Like, I recognize that he's not your guy. I get it. But Iverson was pretty nasty, man.
0: I'm just saying, if Iverson doesn't make that finals, he doesn't step over Lou. He doesn't take a game over the Lakers. And Ray Allen does those things. Yeah, we just history's history's written very differently.
1: Yeah, we speak of him as like, hey, you know what? He's one of the, you know, one of the best, you know, little men all time. You know, best little men scorers of all time. We're not talking about him in the same conversation. You're right. But he did make it, and he did step over Lou, and he did put up like 45 in game one of the finals and still won at Staples Center when nobody thought that was going to happen.
0: Yeah, true, true. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from AI. I'm just saying, Allen was nice. <laughs> I'm, trying to, was t- really I'm nice. trying to protect you right now,
1: trust <laughs> me. Because the AI fan, you, if you think, if you think the MJ fans are, will give us a one, a one star rating, and the Kobe fans will go nuts on you, AI fans are a different breed, man.
0: No, man, Kobe, Kobe. We we gotta do that another time too. Like worst team fans every year, worst player fans every mm-hmm. year. Because I got a list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> number six, Dwayne Wade, oh six. I can't even speak on this without being jaded, you know. I I got my MJ on, my cups empty. I'm I'm not trying to get too into the 06 finals right now, but so I'll let
1: you go. Uh, look, I think that that Dwayne Wade, you know, was an incredible player. He's clearly an MVP. Um, you know, he solidified that you know down the road, right, down the line. But I think the level of calls that that man got, especially as like a second or third year player in the league, in that series. I won't say it was disgusting, but I would say if I were a Dallas fan, <laughs> I would probably cry about it still to this day. That man got Jordan, you know, Jordan level calls in that series, and it is, you know, it is what it is. He made the plays; he, you know, he was incredible. Uh, but it certainly wasn't hurt by the the, the level, uh, the amount, you know, j- the the amount that you just could not touch him in that series.
0: Yeah, Dwayne Tyrone Wade was good in that series. <laughs> um, <laughs> Number five, Kevin Garnett, 2008. Garnett being higher than Pierce on this list doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Because Ke- Kevin Garnett already won his MVP, and he won Defensive Player of the Year that first year with the Celtics. Like, Kevin Garnett, there are people... I, I I can go back and forth on this one. This is one of the ones I don't have a really solid opinion on, but there are people who tell you Kevin Garnett was, was better than Tim Duncan. And... There's a good argument there. So like we don't have to have it out. I'm just saying he was one of the three or four best players in basketball for like a five, six, seven, eight-year period. I don't think this – the ring, obviously, everyone wants a ring, but I don't think it bumped him 20 20 spots up the pyramid, to be honest with you.
1: The quick difference between Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce is Kevin Garnett was going to be a Hall of Famer regardless of whether they got that ring. Paul Pierce would not have been. So that in itself is a reason why he should not be that high on this list.
0: And and not just a Hall of Famer like Paul Pierce might have been a Hall of Famer without a ring, but he would have been like in that Chris Webber zone, where like oh yeah, he was pretty good for a few years on a team that was good for a few years, and maybe not even to that extent. Yeah, but was... like Kevin Garnett was like MVP, and we were talking about is this guy the best player in the league for a few years? It was just a different level, man.
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't. They, they weren't in the same conversation. Number four, Kawhi
0: Leonard, two thousand nineteen.
1: I saw people putting that down because I did take a quick, you know, look at the at the um, at the list. I don't quite get that. Now I get if you if you're saying that's the cherry on top, and you're like, yeah, you know, it's dope that uh, you know he you had that run and it was impressive, specifically because you know, you know he did it like with a completely you know different franchise. But and it, it, and it could just be that I already liked Kawhi and thought he was great, you know, prior to it. Um, but for me, I, I didn't see that as like, oh, okay, now it's different, you know, for him.
0: Yeah. And and to me, like, this was a weirder one too. Like I, I get it, but I don't, because I almost feel like 2014, put him on the map. Like that finals MVP, he, he was like so over glorified for that. Not that he wasn't good. He Mm was, he was, but like what he gave from an offensive standpoint and the heat were just beat and Wade didn't have it. Yeah. And like that that series was very clearly over from, from the jump. But he really got like that next wave of expectation with that ring. Um now, I mean, there were people thinking he's the best player in the league last year, and I get it, but um and excuse me, thirty nine percent of people who voted on the poll. And I and I told people pick five out of the twenty four, so it's not like they're picking one, but thirty nine percent of people gave him a vote. So racist um, bias. But that's okay. yeah, Yeah, I agree. Um, number three, Kobe Bryant,
1: two thousand nine. <laughs> yeah, he, you want my reaction, or are you gonna give yours? <laughs> Look, I I get it. Uh, for the folks that that thought and they were wrong about this, that thought he wasn't a major part of the Shaq, you know, the you know, the, the run with Shaq. I totally understand why this, you know, the, you know this solidified. Him. For those of us that watched it and genuinely saw how, you know, how destructive he was in a positive way, uh, you know, especially through the, you know, throughout the Western Conference playoffs, we all knew. We all knew. But I, I'm here for it. You, you, you want to bring Kobe to the conversation? I'm always going to be here for it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle on this one. Honestly, mm. um, I knew how bad Kobe was before that. Mm. This like, but it did validate him in a different way. It, it it did. be, And it was for a couple reasons. One, um, I do and I, I maintain that if Tracy McGrady, Allen Iverson, Vince Carter or Ray Allen has Shaq for that five year period um, from 99 to 04, six year period, they win at least three to all of them <laughs> because be, because they were all really good at that time and because Shaq was unreal. And not, and I'm not saying that Kobe wasn't very good uh, specifically in 01. He was, but um, but I, I I do think that's a valid opinion you can have. But then Shaq leaves, give, give a second, I'm get I'm getting it. And then Shaq leaves and Kobe chucks his way into some really rough years where he's like doubled down on by his fans, but it's not winning ball, and he would even tell you that now. And then he gets pow and he changes, and him and Power have this unique relationship where they, like, see each other as partners, and, like, Kobe changes how he's, you know, coming around the team, and Powell respects Kobe, and they bring the best out of each other, and then Kobe becomes, you know, a two-time champion, or he wins again, you know, specifically on this title, on the 20, 2009 title. I, I get it. Like, it, it changed, the narrative changed on Kobe pretty big after this one. It, it, it was a validating on a global scale title. I get it.
1: Okay, so it's too simplistic to say that Kobe you know, chucked his way into bad situations when you actually look at the rosters that he was playing with. That's not even that, That's not even up for up for debate. Go look at them, and we see why he was doing that. Second thing is, I get it. I one hundred percent get it because I can say all of this stuff and then acknowledge that uh, I cried tears of joy when they won that. You know when they uh, won an Um, but I I will continue to push back and I vehemently disagree. Those guys would not have won. T- you know, won three for one. They couldn't defend the way that Kobe did, and that was a vital part of the you know, of that run with Shaq. Kobe was the dog on defense. Was the one that was initiating, was guarding the best player, whether it was a point guard, a shooting guard, or a small forward. Those guys weren't. You know, would not have eh. do that. No, it, it's the truth, man. <laughs> no, man.
0: See, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on your pushback because okay. one perimeter wasn't the same. Who who in the West was was Kobe having to guard the same degree? Like you're going up against teams with thir- Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, and Chris Webber, and Shaq has always been underrated defensively. Guys did not want to drive Wait, with Shaq in the paint. He was still the most valuable player for that team at both ends. That's okay.
1: all. Wait, stop, no, I, I I'm telling you, look, I love Shaq. I was the I was a Shaq stand the way that you think that I'm a Kobe stand. I was that guy. In fact. <laughs> I got stories with, uh, with, you know, of Shaq. I've got Shaq stories for you, you know, galore, that we'll get into over the court, you know, over the next couple of months. But uh, while Shaq, yes, he had the ability to you know to roam the paint. He, you, know, you remember how you said like, oh, you know, you're sure Mike took time off? Uh, that's Shaq t- in a nutshell. That was part of the reason why Kobe got so frustrated. And Shaq would even utter, you know, stupid stuff like, the big dog got to get fed, or the dog don't guard the house. Like, stuff like that was part of the reason why, they, you know, they were so upset. And also, to your thing about, like, yes, he was going up against Duncan. Duncan also had a couple guys named Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili that were out there doing it. Like, come on, man, let's not pretend, like, anyway. Tony we- Parker
0: and Manu Ginobili were, like, rookies and sophomores when, when Shaq and Kobe were winning those three rings, man.
1: Look. We're, you know what? This is what we'll do. We'll save it for another one because this is definitely a great conversation. But I don't. I'm I don't, just want to drag this on.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we. I mean, we're not going to go to war over when it's a minor thing. My yeah. point is that, and and I we we've demonstrated by the fact that we're even having this conversation, mm-hmm. there were a large number of people, who wanted to see Kobe win without Shaq, oh, and
1: '09 did oh, that. Man. Yeah. Okay. I, I was living. I was. I was actually. It was the last time I lived out here in Tucson, and literal tears of joy. <laughs>
0: Uh, number two was lebron winning in 2016 Mm -hmm. now howard beck you know he also voted shouts to howard um one of the best in the business uh was saying that we should have had you know lebron winning his first one in 2012 on here Mm -hmm. and and i can see it but like 2016 really put like and we've talked you've talked about you've been like that was the moment you were like okay damn bron you know like Mm -hmm. 2016 really took a lot of people who didn't love LeBron. He wasn't their guy. They weren't going to give him an inch. And they were like, you know, I can't deny it anymore. So I, I feel like I get why 2016 is this high.
1: Yeah, look. It, for me, it's 2016 uh, specifically because I was one of those folks that was hating on him early in his career. I, I acknowledge how great he was. I saw it from the start, like right when he came in. I was like, "Yeah, man, you know what? He's great, but you know what? Kobe better. You know, and you already know what that you know what that uh, you know stems stems from." Um, and you know, while yes, we saw you know 2012, that was great. 2013, you know, all, all of that was great. Well, when we you know, when you got to 2016 and you know as you just mentioned, for me that was Terminator LeBron. That was one of the best three-game stretches I've ever seen somebody play. I it, it's hard for me to argue against this.
0: Yeah. I I get it. Again, I think you know with the fact that eight of the top 10 or 2000 mm-hmm. onward kind of paint the picture, um but I get it. And then number 1 is Dirt 2011, which I have mixed feelings about, but um, uh, I'll let you go first.
1: I, I can tell you at least from the uh, from the American you know, basketball fan perspective and I'm not being you know not being silly but you know, like you know, us you know, how, how dumb we are but how dumb we were about basketball at that time you know, you know the, the 2000 in terms of in terms of our assessment of European players I can tell you this definitely is number one because I still heard dirk is weak and soft and I don't know about that one in like 2013 2014 from people that I would consider halfway decent basketball minds. They just couldn't get over themselves, but yo, know, look for me. I always appreciated him, but I, I had a little bit of that mentality. It was gone after I saw that run. It was gone after I saw him, you know, dominate those Lakers. Now they retired and whatever. You know, I'm a, I'm a cape for my team, uh, but I was gone after that. I was like, okay, yeah, Dirt, you got me. <laughs> you got it, man.
0: Yeah, this is the this is the thing, man. Like, I I. I agree that it completely changed how people viewed Dirk. And he finally got credit for how good he'd been mm-hmm. for, you know, 15 years. But it it pisses me off that, like, people act like that title, you know, made him. Now, he won one MVP in 07. But from 2005 to 2007, I know everyone doesn't love advanced stats. He had the most win shares in the NBA, just ahead of LeBron and Kevin Garnett. He had the second best block box plus minus behind only LeBron James. And he had the, the best player efficiency rating. Like you can legitimately argue he was the best player in the game for three years in the middle of the 2000s with Garnett, Wade, James, Kobe, Duncan, Jack, bunch of guys like Nash who won two MVPs. He was really, really good. So it, it bothers me that that ring is used as like, oh yeah, without it, he, he wouldn't really have been that great. When he, he was so damn good. But at the same time, I, I do appreciate that it really turned heads. And I think, you know, from a historical perspective, it's it's underrated when a team that's that hungry. We talk about with championships keeping guys hungry, getting a team that they had. 06 Heat were kind of like this too, where they had a lot of guys who really wanted it and were on the way out. But like the Marion, the Pages, the Terrys, the kids, Dirk, uh, Deshaun Stevenson, like they, they knew it was now or never, right? Now or never, and that... I mean they beat Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. They beat uh, Lamarcus Alders. They beat they they stopped the Lakers three Pete. They beat the Heatles. Like they sent home a lot of M V P type players that run. And I feel like it gets a, that whole
1: title gets a little bit underrated because LeBron wasn't on his A game in the finals. So it does, but let, let, allow me to say this. I get why it frustrates you, but I'm gonna keep it real with you. The same you know, the same people that would you know question his legacy or question or, or state that 2011 you know, really did it for him. They're the same people that in 06, they said, okay, yeah, he got beat. You know, he, he was beat by you know by a uh, old man Shack and uh, you know a young kid. And then, and, you know, even though he won the, you know, the MVP, they would specifically, uh, was it 07? They would specifically say, yeah, but he had to pick it up, you know, in a suit because he was already bounced, you know, the, uh, uh, in a 1-8 situation. I'm not saying these things, but like for them, that's why it solidifies. And to be honest with you, I, I actually agree with it. Like, it, it's kind of like the cherry on top. It's, it's gravy on top of a, of a dope meal. You know what I mean Like it's not saying That he was weak Before that But sometimes You get to You know You kind of get to A pinnacle To where it's like Yeah we can acknowledge That was the highlight Even though there was great You know The the, the way up the mountain Was great You know like It had all types of highlights But that was the peak And it was Yeah it was I, I mean it was
0: And it was great And it, and it did change I get why it's number one I don't disagree with that I think It's up there But uh, I just Kind of wanted to add That context I guess I guess Um definitely, you know, obviously compromised there, but, um, some of the ones that didn't make it, you know, shouts to Bomani Jones suggested Julius Irving, 1983, Mm -hmm. obviously wasn't around, but you know, that the, the ABA wasn't viewed as an equal league and people were questioning, you know, is he as good in the NBA that ring kind of answered that, I guess him and Moses Malone. Um, so that got a lot of votes. Wilt Chamberlain, nineteen sixty seven. I think that was in my top five. Um, it, it should have been on here. It was when they fin- he finally got over Russell. Uh, 1967, Willis should have been on the list. Uh, Clyde Drexler, 94. Andre Iguodala, 2015. Uh, Kyle Lowry, 2019. Tony Parker, 2007. Willis Reed, 1970. And Bill Walton, 1977. All received uh, 25 votes or more. So, I can uh, add those in. I can appreciate um, those. Yeah, to wrap up before we... Do a couple shouts. shouts. Uh, what are you binging this week outside of The Last Dance?
1: Uh, honestly, I, I went back and I started watching The Sopranos about a week and a half ago. I didn't mention it on the last one because I had just kind of started it. Uh, but I, I, started, I restarted The Sopranos. I'm actually already in season three because I just kind of have it on in the background as I'm working on stuff uh specifically because i've seen it so many times and shout out once again to sam uh you know one of the hosts of the light years podcast specifically because he just started it for the first time and i can't like i, I feel like even though you know i don't know him like that i'm experiencing it vicariously through his tweets so i appreciate that what about you
0: yeah i didn't mention it last week either but like i've been on the office rewatching the office the mm-hmm. last like three weeks too okay. so you know that's kind of like my filler time show, and then based on your rec- recommendation last episode was like four days ago we recorded. I started watching Hunters, mm. and I'm like I just finished episode four, and I'm pretty into it. Okay, and so this is where people were telling me like it kind of took a dive for the worst. So we'll we'll see how it goes, but uh, I, I am liking it more than I thought I would
1: initially. So you're right on. S- stick stick with it. Trust me, like you won't be disappointed. I I, I have a feeling about your taste. You know the at these at this point, I don't think you'll be disappointed.
0: Yeah. No, I I dig the concept for sure. I did. It's it's an interesting idea. Um, so yeah, that's going to wrap us up. We will, uh, this will be dropping for all of you Monday morning. We recorded this Sunday night. Um, our next episode will come out Thursday morning. Uh, once again, if you haven't liked rated and subscribed, please do, please hit the five stars, you know, we'll appreciate it. Shoot us a screenshot. Um, that'd be awesome. Uh, Jabbar, any shout outs before you sign off here?
1: Yeah, I wanted to quickly sh- I, 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 Do you have one as well? I, I, or do want no, to- I don't I got you I wanted to quickly shout out your guy Dave You at know, Dave Bodridge um, He seems like a good guy Seems like a good follow on Twitter And also our guy And you know, I think I did it last week But I'm going to shout him out again At number one uh, Real good guy um, You know, so I definitely appreciate all the feedback That you guys have been, you know Giving us via Twitter And hope that you continue
0: Actually, that's a lie, man I got two uh, Lance Robertson At Lance yes. underscore 972 uh said he's followed us over he's glad we got another podcast up Running, lance thanks for coming man and uh kyle Panabaker. baker pan baker i'm not sure how to say that um he he was kind of giving me uh asking me about kd shot me some dms uh dms about kd and sort of sort of led to the question of the week in our poll discussion so shouts kyle thanks man um thanks again to blue wire network for for hosting the show and uh we'll see you on thursday